following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. He leadeth me, O oh, blessed thought, O oh, words with heavenly comfort fraught. What ere I do, where'er I be, still taste thy The joy of believing. The joy of believing. If you have ears to hear, you hear the rushing of the tide as it withdraws spiritual life from the shores of the Western world. There is an incredible battle going on for the souls of men in the Western world. Some have said the Western world is in the process of committing suicide. There are two conflicting worldviews. One, materialism. Two, theism. Materialism is held now by most secular colleges and universities. It's also held by most who define themselves as liberals. It is held by most in the news media, many politicians, and many judges in our nation. It is held by the majority of those in Europe. Europe is merely a few years ahead of America. If you were to go to Germany tonight and you were to look in their newspaper, in almost every paper you would see full nudity. If you were to watch German television tonight, you would see full nudity on the screen during family time. If you were to look at the magazines from Germany, you would see in almost every magazine nudity. In fact, the nudist camps are complaining in Germany because there's no longer any reason for their existence. A man or a woman with children will go into a public park in the summertime in Germany, and they will simply disrobe, take all their clothes off, and sit down to enjoy the rays. Drugs are rampant. Amsterdam, open drug mart. Every drug possibly desired is simply for the purchasing. The gospel has almost disappeared from Europe. As I was pleading today for Europe, the Lord spoke to me and said, the freedom of Europe is almost gone. Democracy is almost dead in Europe. It cannot exist outside of the Judeo-Christian ethic. It cannot exist outside of theism. It was theism that gave birth to democracy. It was theism that gave birth to the scientific method why didn't the scientific method arise out of the Muslim world? Why didn't it arise out of Shintoism 
or Buddhism because they didn't have the worldview that would allow the understanding that was necessary to develop the whole scientific process from which we gain today all of our technological expertise. But all of that is being repudiated today, and Europe is preparing itself to accept its total demise and the rulership, the dictatorship of Antichrist. And America is following quickly behind. Materialism, let me give you some working definitions. It is the view that only matter and material processes exist. The physical universe is all there is, they say. There is no mind behind it. There is no creator. There is no purpose. There's no possibility of a personal God who intervenes in the world. A professor by the name of Dawkins, who holds an endowed chair at Oxford University, maintains that there is a selfish gene. This is his contribution to the discussion of materialism. He believes that humans exist for DNA. He does not believe that DNA exists for humans. And he believes that each person is simply a robot, a little higher than the ape, for the purpose of survival. And that every living organism simply functions as it develops its selfish genes, that is, survival of the fittest. So life on earth is just a product of the necessary unfolding of undirected material processes. It's meaningless. If any of you have read the French philosopher Camus, who says that if a man is walking across the street ahead of you, and you run him down and kill him, it doesn't mean anything. Now, we would object to that. But yet we're training our children with our videos. We're training our children with our video games, with all of the recreational violence that we have espoused in our culture. We're training them to believe that life has no meaning. The young people from Columbine High School who committed those atrocious murders when asked how they could do it, said, we've been doing it for a long time with the video games. We learned how to shoot with the video games. We trained them, and then we condemned them because they simply did what they'd been trained to do. The belief of a materialist is that there is no ultimate foundation for ethics no ultimate meaning in life, no free will. So our actions have no meaning. On the other hand, theism, or the Judeo-Christian worldview, maintains that God has endowed us with senses and reason that are designed to understand the created order in which he has placed us. God's creation, according to theism, has an inherent moral order. There is objective, right and wrong. There are absolutes. And these can be known by us through revelation and through reason. 
the great debate that's going on now in our nation with intelligent design is simply a new unfolding of this battle between materialism and theism. Those who believe in materialism will not even allow the scientific argument from mathematics or from biology or from zoology or from other sources, not from scripture. They will not allow these arguments into the field of study because they disallow philosophically the argument of intelligent design, of theism. And so before the scientific endeavor even begins, they have outlawed the results. And so we have in Dover this court case where the judge with such arrogance throws out this discussion of intelligent design and impugns the integrity of anyone who would even begin to believe in theism. There was a day when every great scientific person believed in theism. There was a day when an intelligent design was the order. It was the total basis for our scientific discovery. It was the basis of every great university and college. But when through higher criticism, those wicked Germans came with their arguments, the theists fled the field of battle. They felt ill-equipped to argue. They were already largely devoid of the Holy Spirit. They were men of religion, but not of the deep things of the scriptures. And they fled intellectually the battle because they had no hold of God. And now we have ceded the public arena to the atheists. And very quickly now, all religious faith is being wiped out of the public arena. And in its place, we have this wicked sentimentalism so that Marion Barry, who was robbed this past week, could say, I don't want the police to prosecute these two perpetrators, these two criminals. I don't want the police to prosecute them. I love them and I forgive them. On what basis does he forgive them? There is no blood forgiveness. It's out of his liberal heart, out of his denial of reality, out of his absolute leaving the foundations of morality. All he has left is a sixth sentimentalism that allows him to speak of love with no ethical meaning, that allows him to speak of love with no moral foundation, no longer any clarity between what is right and what is wrong. Is it any wonder then that the churches have also gone this direction and said what, what matters the most is that we have money? that we have entertainment, that we have seeker-sensitive services where we don't confront sin and we don't call it sin. We just say everybody's already saved. Just name the name of Jesus. You're in like Flint. And don't worry about the tribulation. You're going to be swooped out of here before the tribulation comes. Out of wickedness before God. A denial of the basic elements of theism. So we believe that God has a moral order. There is objective right and wrong. 
These can be known by us through revelation and reason. Life has meaning and purpose in God's plan. We are accountable moral agents created in God's image, whether we think we are or not. And just because the judgments of God have not yet fallen does not mean that we are not moral agents who will be held accountable before a throne for our wrong and for our sin. Now, none of this modernism takes the scripture by surprise. It's all a sign of the end. Look with me just for a moment at Romans, the first chapter. And by the way, all of this so far, I'm sure you're able to say yes and amen, Pastor. But wait till we get into the heart of the matter. And then see whether you have the joy of believing in your heart or whether you have, in fact, begun to side with the atheist and materialist in the way you live, in the way you act. Not enough to say we're free moral agents and then not be a free moral agent. It's not enough to say that there are absolutes and then have none. This is not about what we say. This is about what we do. Verse 18, chapter 1. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immoral God, immortal God, for images made to look like mortal men, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. We are in the process of watching as all of Europe is given over. We're in the process of watching America being given over by God in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. On most secular university campuses today, there is a women's center, usually headed by a lesbian. There is an absolute determination to move toward lesbian studies. They use the word queer as though it were a title of integrity. If you've not been exposed to what's going on on American campuses today, 
they are hotbeds of Marxism and of utter godlessness. Today, fewer men than women are graduating from our universities. The numbers right now are 135 women graduate for every 100 men. Why is that so? Because of largely the feminist agenda on the college campuses. Because men go to college and won't put up with the nonsense and join the military or do something else. What I'm trying to describe for you tonight, I hope, inflames your heart to go to the prayer closet and begin to search honestly and to get out of your own little world and begin to recognize the suicide is actually in progress for America. Listen, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. So we live in a day when the Boy Scouts are to be cast down and homosexuality is to be lifted up. We live in a day when what is good is cursed and what is unholy is praised. We live in a day when every imagination of a man's heart is at his fingertips. Many years ago when we lived in places like I grew up, there wasn't much trouble I could get into. There were no stores close by. There wasn't a lot of trouble we could get into. But today, most of you live with trouble at your fingertips on your computer. You live with every kind of worldliness available at your place of work. You want drugs? You can buy them. You want pornography? You can go to 7-Eleven. You want to overindulge in whatever it is? It's right there waiting for you, enticing you. You can indulge in sports. You can spend your time hip-hopping about the Redskins. You can spend your time watching whatever you choose to watch. You've got the world in your living room with a flipper. You don't even have to get up out of your chair. You can drink in as much darkness as your heart desires to drink. And none of us will even know until you come to the prayer circle. And then it all shows up. Because then confusion is on your face. You have no prayers to utter before God. You're undone. You know you've been lusting after the world and the things of the world, and you've been playing with the devil, and you come into God's house, and what are you going to do? You know what I'm praying? I'm praying, oh God, make this house unsafe. Make it unsafe for any person who chooses to hold on to the world. Let the fear of God be in this house. Let the trembling of God be in this house. It's time a people stood up and no longer participated in the filth of the world. Every unclean thing is being done. I want to be very bold with you. Homosexuality, according to Scripture, is God's judgment on a people for their love of the world. 
God's sign of judgment. God's judgment is already being poured out on this nation. Don't look at the homosexual person and say, well, you're the reason, That's you're God's judgment. No, no. It's the church. It's us. We've been called to be salt, not sugar. So when we see God's judgment being poured out on our nation, and 85% of us say we're Christians, it's us. It's our life. It's our sin. I want to take you back into the early parts of the scripture tonight. I want to show you something the Lord revealed to me this time as we were reading through. I've seen it over and over, but this time he put it together for me. Why is it we have no power to confront this sin? It's called unbelief. Why is it that our nation is being visited by the judgments of God in our weather, natural disasters, war, hunger, sexual sin, because of our unbelief. Now, I want you to see tonight how this works in reality in your life. I've painted the big picture. Now let's come back and let's look at it in my life and in your life. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the I am God. The children of Israel have been pulled out of Egypt. Some might say kicking and screaming. Some of you have come this far in your walk with Christ. Some might say by kicking and screaming. Now they're out in the wilderness, and they begin to learn the specific ways of God. These ways are functioning now in your life. You may not be aware of them, but the law of God is functioning now in your life. What's happening in your life is a direct result of belief or unbelief. If you have confusion in your heart tonight, it's because of unbelief. If you have casualness in your heart tonight, it's because of unbelief. If you have rebellion in your heart tonight, it's because of unbelief. If you're consumed by the world tonight, it's because of unbelief. And God is simply giving you over to judgment. So let's begin. I'm going to take you through several experiences that the children of Israel had, and I want you to see that God did the same thing in every incident so that you'll know that God will do the same thing in your life in every incident. This is not something that requires a rocket scientist to understand. This is simple. This is not complex. We come to Exodus, the 15th chapter. They are just shortly out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. And for three days, they have traveled in the desert without finding water. Exodus 15, verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Moses cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a piece of wood representing the cross. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God 
and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. I am the Lord who heals you. So the children of Israel, for the first time after entering the desert, three days, are thirsty, and their heart response is to grumble against God. God responds to that by saying, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you. And in this first incident, his way of testing is to say, if you will follow my laws and my decrees, I will not allow any judgment to fall on you. I will not allow any diseases to fall on you. So God has been very merciful. When we begin this walk with Jesus Christ, and we grumble against him, and we turn in unbelief against him, his first response is always one of great mercy. And he comes and he tests us. He tells us to obey him. And then he determines whether or not we've obeyed him. And if we obey him in that instance, he blesses us. If we disobey him then, he brings judgment on us. Now the principle is laid out. Let's see how it plays out. The 16th chapter, verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So again, God's people are grumbling against God. Oh, we grumble in so many ways. God, everything is terrible. Why would you let this happen? God, I don't know if you even exist. God, why are you making me so miserable? And the heathen, they just curse the name of Jesus. You ever wonder why people who are non-believers want to use the name of Jesus as a curse word? They're grumbling. Their conscience has been pricked by the Lord at some point in their life, and now their heart has turned to bitterness and grumbling against Almighty God. So many times, people who begin the walk with Jesus get into a tight place, and they say, I might as well just die. I've done that. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Oh, God, if you're not going to grow the National Prayer Chapel, just take my life. I can't stand this church. I want a church that's that's moving, that's growing, that's making progress. I want a church that's out in the city, moving and shaking, grumbling against God. Now God very graciously, again the second time, says in verse 4, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. In other words, God's testing in the first two incidences are combined with a blessing. It's almost like he's got a carrot and stick deal going. Okay, you need a carrot here? I'll give you a carrot. But if you don't move on in obedience, you're going to feel the switch. These are people who are just beginning to walk out this walk in the desert. Oh, how many times has God put a carrot in front of me? Now, come on, Ray, if you do this, 
I'm going to bless you. Just come on, obey me. Speaks very gently to me. Winningly, winsomely. Come on, you can do it. Like when, when April was just a little girl. She was crawling everywhere. Called her the rug rat. Oh, the day she finally was willing to stand up. She'd teeter and collapse. She'd teeter and collapse. I said, oh God, is my daughter always going to teeter and collapse? Why can't she walk? See, I've been impatient about everything all my life. I've always been in a hurry to get there. My wife is always saying, come on, Ray, let's enjoy the trip. I said, no, I want to get there. Now. I don't have time for this trip. I just want to be there. Grumble, 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 grumble. I don't want the process. I want the reward. So I hold my hands out to April. I said, come on, April. Come on, sweetheart. Daddy will catch you. She'd take those teetering steps, and then I'd sweep her up in my arms and spin her around and say, great, you're learning how to walk. Oh, God does that to me all the time. Or he used to do that to me all the time. He doesn't do that anymore. Sometimes I wish I could go back where God would treat me like a child. Come on, God, give me a break. Let me be a child again. No. You know, I've talked to teenagers who say, I just want to go back and be a kid. I don't want to grow up. This grown-up stuff's too tough. Come on, Mommy, Daddy, just put the big key in my mouth. Change my diapers. Oh, how many Christians are like that? Can't go back and be a child now. I'll show you why. Look over here at chapter 11, book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 11. They've been walking for a while now. They had the tabernacle of God established now. They'd seen the fire of God. They'd seen the deliverance of God. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Now instead of holding his hands out and saying, Come on, baby dear. Come on, little one. Come, Daddy will catch you. He's saying, look, you're big enough now. You know the deal. I'm mad with you. When God's mad, he sends the Amalekites. Judgment comes. But look at this. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. The Lord is saying, you want to grumble? You want to complain? My fire will start to burn in your life and destroy what I've given you. Your equipment will break down. Your money will be devoured. Your car will be destroyed. Judgment will begin to be poured out on you. And you're going to have to flee quickly to the presence of God and plead with him because if you don't, you may die. Now, most in the body of Christ today have no comprehension about what I'm talking about. 
They're 30 years old and they still have to have their diapers changed. They've been unwilling to grow up. They love their sin. They love their unbelief. They love the world. The day will come when the judgments of God will fall and they will be wiped out and destroyed. Or they're going to repent of their sin and they're going to grow up. I like what some have said about marriage. Some have said that marriage is our last chance to grow up. Marriage is our last chance to grow up. I think being a Christian is our last chance to grow up. Then in verse 4, a little later, some rabble began to crave other food. Have you ever just said in your heart, Lord, I love you and you know I love you. But would you just take your eyes off me for a few minutes? I want to go do something else. I just have an itch in me to go do something I want to do. I'll be back, maybe, if you treat me nice. If you clean up my mess, Jesus, after I've made it, I'll come back. Moses heard in verse 10 the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. There's nothing worse in the world than a church that has families wailing because they're not getting their way. Because they have a taste for something other than what they're getting. And they're mad. And they want what they want when they want it. I praise God none of that is true in this fellowship. But the Lord became exceedingly angry. The Lord became exceedingly angry. Part of what you have to understand tonight about this belief issue is that it's not optional. It's not a take it or leave it deal. You've walked far enough. Every person in this house has walked far enough with the Lord God of heaven that if you now turn and begin to grumble against him, if you crave other food other than the bread Jesus Christ, he will become very angry with you. And his judgment will begin to fall on your life. Now, you can leave the National Prayer Chapel and say, Pastor, I don't buy that and I don't like that and I'm not going to listen to you talk to me that way. It's all right with me. You don't have to deal with me. You have to deal with God. He's going to follow you because you've been here. You don't get away. Children of Israel later would rebel against God. And God said to them, Do you think that I'm going to let you go and live like the world after you have seen and experienced my presence among you. Don't even think about it. I'm taking you out. I'm disciplining you. But please understand, you can't understand or accept the love and mercy and grace of God if you're not willing to accept his anger and his judgment. Without his anger and his judgment, without his integrity, the grace is greasy. It's not real grace. Real grace comes when I repent of my unbelief, when I repent of my desiring other things, when I recognize that my cravings for wickedness and darkness mean I need to be born anew in the Spirit, and you're willing to go to the prayer closet and struggle it through until it's done, and you walk in victory in Jesus Christ. Now, please, if, you, if you've been reading the scriptures, you have noticed a number of passages, at least I have, they have leapt 
from the page of my spirit saying that the Ten Commandments are the Old Covenant. That the Ten Commandments are the Old Covenant. I am not under the Old Covenant if I am under the New Covenant. If I have died to the law and I have been raised anew in Jesus Christ and I'm walking under that blood, then I'm not under the law. But if I choose to sin, I move myself back under the law because all of the world is held accountable before God for wickedness by the law. So the law can spring to life in me if my flesh springs to life in me. And then I must deal with the judgments of God or I must quickly run to his table and repent and once more eat the broken body of Christ and drink the blood of Jesus. Moses has to deal with this wailing. In fact, Moses even begins to walk into unbelief and God has to rebuke him and say, is the Lord's arm too short in verse 23? You think I can't bring these people the food they want? Moses, my arm is not too short. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. He can reconcile any sin I commit. He can reconcile any conflict I have. He can reconcile every business situation I face. He can handle anything. His arm is not too short. The question is, will I believe in him? Will I put my confidence in him? Will I trust him? Ah, a plague broke out. Verse 33. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibroth Havada, because they buried the people who had craved other food. Now, this pattern is carried on through all of the Old Testament. Every time God's people began to grumble against him in unbelief, his judgment came. The children of Israel are thirsty. Moses strikes the rock with the rod of God and water breaks out of the rock. We're told in the New Testament that that rock is Jesus Christ. Now Moses comes with the direction from God that he is to speak to the rock, and the rock will pour out the water. In his anger, he comes to the rock, and he beats on it. He strikes it. He did not show himself holy. He did not consider God holy. And for that sin, he could not enter into the promised land. What is that sin? It's unbelief. It's coming to that rock, and we're so mad because we can't have our way. We strike out at Jesus. We accuse Jesus of not being fair, of not being faithful, of withholding of not managing our affairs the way we think he should manage them. We strike out and we say, if you're not going to do it the way I need to have it done, then I'm going to go and live my own life. And we're set up for judgment and separation from God. Some of you tonight in this house are saying, why hasn't God spoken to me? Maybe it's because you've been striking him instead of speaking to him. Why can't God answer my prayers? 
because you've been striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Angry because you haven't had your way. After we don't get our way and the water doesn't flow out of the rock, then we drift back to our worldly ways. And we become casual in the presence of God and we delve into religion. Or we may still go through the motions, we may even still pay our tithes, but we're now on automatic. We don't think God's present, we don't think he's going to do anything. We think it's up to us and it's dead religion. And we're prime candidates for the judgment of God to begin to fall on us, to wake us up from our slumber. So we have a health crisis, or we have a financial crisis. We have a relationship crisis. And the drama is played out because we've been walking in unbelief and the judgments of God have come upon us. Now, I wish for your sake I didn't have to even talk about this tonight. Then you wouldn't be accountable for it. But now it's been revealed to you. You're accountable. To every action, there is a reaction. To everything you do, there is a reaction from God. By his blessed grace and mercy, the door swings slowly open. And the door swings slowly closed. So there is room in God's mercy for many rebellions. And then the judgment comes. And then we want to moan and cry. We want to weep and wail. And we want everyone to come and rescue us and say, there, there, it's going to be okay. Change our diapers and give us a binky. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is we repent. We say, I'm sorry. We confess our sin. We weep before the Lord. And we stand up in his power and in his grace and in his mercy and we walk forward regardless of what we feel like, regardless of what the situation looks like and we begin to lift our hands into the heavens and we begin to praise and honor his glorious and holy name. I've been consumed by these first years of this, these first days of this new year in the prayer closet praising and honoring Jesus for what he's doing in this house. Doesn't matter if there are cattle in the stall or it's empty. Doesn't matter if there's food in the cupboard or it's empty. It doesn't matter if I'm sick or well. It doesn't matter if I'm facing impossible odds. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It only matters that I lift up my hands to the Lord God of heaven and I praise and worship his name. And there's only one thing that will get me to that place where I can praise and worship his name. Repentance for unbelief, for hardness of heart, for rebellion. A dear sister wrote to me recently, suggesting to me that I was being hard on those who in the revival were into laughter. Suggesting that I was being hard on those who were experiencing gold dust. I'll rejoice in all the gold dust that can fall from this ceiling. I'll rejoice in every bit of laughter you can express when you have been set free in the spirit from sin and condemnation. But if you experience those things before, you are mocking the Lord Jesus Christ and judgment will fall. This issue of unbelief is so rabid among us. It's what has 
free the materialists and the atheists to hold sway over our culture. We don't do battle with them in the prayer closet. We'd rather marshal our wonderful intellect and go to battle with them on the radio or battle with them in books or battle with them some other way. No, the battle won't be won there. The battle is won in the prayer closet. First, as we submit and repent and get clear about who we are and who Jesus is, and then secondly, as we begin to intercede for our brothers and sisters who are walking in atheism and ungodliness, who are under the terrible burden of the judgment of God. Oh, there are men and women caught in sexual immorality. I am crying out to God for them by name. We have a dear man in Florida, Jan, and I love him dearly in the gay lifestyle. We're pleading with God to save this man from this judgment that has come upon him. We intercede for him. You understand? We've been called as a people to walk in righteousness and holiness. When we sin, the scriptures say, we have an advocate with the Father who intercedes for us. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't continue to walk in that unrighteousness. We get bathed, we get scrubbed, we get washed. And we walk in the newness of life. We walk in joy and laughter. We walk in the excitement of praising God for victory over sin. You need a Holy Spirit facelift because you've got unbelief in your heart. It's time to repent of unbelief. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. Oh, I do not want your body to be scattered in the desert. The desert is the world. I've been pleading for you today. I've been in the prayer closet crying out for you by name, saying, Oh God, save the National Prayer Chapel. Save us, oh God. If you don't save us, we're going to perish. We're going to be blown away. Our bodies are going to be scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did. They were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. 
In other words, you're nobody special. You're nobody special. There's no special temptation just for you that's so big you can't deal with. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee. That's his way out. Run away from it. Flee from it. Do you know how you flee from unbelief? You praise Jesus. When you have a look of misery, you're in unbelief and you're in sin. Oh, this has played out so many times in our families with our children. We think barking at our children will get the job done. We think yelling and screaming and jerking will get the job done. It doesn't. Or we think that just letting them do anything they want will get the job done. It doesn't. Permissiveness is equally sinful before God. No. We're called to pull things together. We're called to praise the name of Jesus. To praise his name. To worship him. And I'll tell you what, when you're praising the name of Jesus and you're worshiping him, the devil's temptations have no power over your life. And something that looked utterly impossible a few minutes ago will now be absolutely plain before you. Now please understand, God promised me 16 years ago that he was going to give me a wife and that he was going to give me a revival. Praise God, he chose to give me the wife first. Because I don't know if I could have stood for these 16 years for revival if I hadn't had a wife who was honest and standing beside me and praising God with me, rebuking me when I got into grumbling. Jan's rebukes are a slap in the face, but she does it in such a sweet way. I praise God. I'm telling you that to say, you're praising God is not a magic fix that somehow is going to make God pour forth water from the rock when you think you ought to have it. Okay, I praise God and you didn't do what he wanted. I'm mad. Ah, no. You grow up. Get out of your diapers. Stop making a mess. Get your binky out of your mouth. Get the sword in your hand. Get moving. Grow up. Praise his name, regardless of what happens. Stand by faith in his word, no matter what happens. This is a battle we're in. Stand by faith. Don't be moved. Know that he's enough. Don't be slipping and sliding. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel, and we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at The National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Just to take